Hey everyone, and welcome to our last podcast in our building character series, How to Deal with Drifting. Now, we all have a tendency to drift away from what we want to do, what we should do, what God desires us to do. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we don't drift away or fall away. It would be great, you know, if we could just grow in character or any other area of life, then you just take a break for a while, you know, and say, you know what, I'm tired of growing a little bit. This is tough. I'm going to just take a break. After a day or a week, come back to where you left off. The problem is that life doesn't work that way. If you take a break, you, you drift. You don't drift forwards. You drift backwards. That's just the way life works. It's like working out. If you lift weights and you're doing, say you're doing bench press for, and you do it for three weeks straight. You're you're steadily building muscle. And then you take a week off and then you go back. You don't go back to the exact same way you were when you stopped. You actually have regressed. Because life is like that. It's our human tendency. We, we can't just stay where we are. It's like the best illustration I could say is like life is like a down escalator and we're walking up it. And the moment we stop walking we go backwards and we end up at the bottom. So if we're going to grow in character, we got to deal with drifting. And it's true of every area of life. We drift in relationships. If I expect a relationship to get better by doing nothing, you're just going to drift away. We talk about drifting apart. We never talk about drifting together. Have you noticed that? It's only drifting apart because if I don't do anything, you're going to drift. It's also true in my commitment to a job or a task. I start out very committed, you know, maybe a year into a job or a weekend to a tough task, and you start to drift because you kind of lose your commitment a little bit. It's true in our attention span. We want to pay attention. We want to listen. I mean, I really want to listen to my wife. I want to listen to every word that she says, but my attention, you know what? It just drifts sometimes. Okay, it drifts a lot. No small part to ADD, but... I wish it wouldn't, but it does. We also drift in our faith, in our spiritual growth. We don't stay where we are spiritually. We're either moving towards an initial commitment to God. You don't have a commitment. You're considering it. You're moving towards it or you're moving away from it. Remember, you're on a down escalator. You're either getting closer or farther away. And once you make that commitment to begin a life in Jesus Christ, you're either growing in that commitment or you're moving away from growth in that commitment. You're drifting. So we got to pay careful attention. It's kind of like driving a car. And if you're driving down the road, if your eyes aren't on the road, say they start looking at signs or a billboard and the billboard's on the left, you're going to drift to that side because you're, you're not paying enough attention or maybe you're texting or actually on social media, which please don't do while you drive, you know, but you start to drift in whatever direction that it's headed towards. And people don't even know that they're drifting. And if you don't pay careful attention to it, it's human life. You, you drift. Colossians 1.23 says, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance that you received when you heard the good news. The good news is the truth that Jesus loves you and he gave his life for you on the cross, that he can give you forgiveness and life and grace. Now, understand, we don't always drift in the same direction. So when I talk about drifting, most of us think about drifting into an obvious sin, 
Well, that's certainly one way we can drift, but there's other ways as well. We can drift when it comes to faith. Some people drift into a judgmental attitude towards other people. That's another way to drift. Some people drift into being more concerned about what people think about me than what God thinks about me. Some people drift into a cynicism or a laziness about their faith. There's a lot of different ways to drift, and we don't always drift in the same way or in the same direction. See, every one of us struggles with this. So I'm not talking about something a few of us talk about. I'm talking about everyone. We all deal with what I want to call the daily drift. And then what can happen because of that, that daily drift. So we drift each day. I wake up. We have this commitment to do something, but then we get distracted and we start to drift. I got to get keep getting back on course. And you put enough daily drifts together and then all of a sudden you're way off course. And you're at a place where you thought you'd never be. The thing about drifting is when you're drifting, you don't know that you're drifting. You're like a boat on a great big ocean. And the only way that you know you're drifting is to check in and see, I'm not drifting, but you are. You got to check in. God says, I want you to do that. I want you to check in regularly with me so you can see where you are. Second Corinthians 13, 5 says, test yourself to make sure that you're solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. You got to give yourself regular checkups. If you fail the test, do something about it. I love that. If you fail the test, don't feel like God's failed you. Don't feel like that there's no hope in the future. Just do something about it. We, we get, we fail something. And then what that does is it leads us to not do anything. And that's just the wrong response. So when we check in with God, you know what? We can get back on course. So I want to encourage you to pray a very courageous prayer as we start this looking together at drifting. Just pray the prayer, God, test my heart. Would you help me to see where I am? Help me to see where I am. A GPS, if you will, a God positioning system. Or, or, or. <laughs> where are you right now? And if you could see where you are, then you could tell, you know what? I have been drifting. Help me to get back on track, God. This is the message to help you with the daily drift, but it's also to help you, those who feel like you've drifted so far that there's no way back, but there is. So let me go get a couple big time drifters in the Bible. You have David in the Old Testament and Peter in the New Testament. David in the Old was a man after God's own heart. He had a heart for God. Man, wouldn't that be something you'd be called that? I'm a, he, God says, that's a man after my own heart. Whoa. But you know what he did? He drifted. He drifts into temptation, into adultery, and murder. That's right. The guy who has the heart of God, stone cold killer. Bible says in 2 Samuel 11, 2-4, one evening David got up from his bed and he walked around the roof of the palace and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was beautiful. And then David sent messengers to her and she came to him and he slept with her. So all of a sudden, this man after God's own heart is in a place where God would have never wanted him to be doing the exact opposite thing that God told him to do. Now, I want you to see from both David and Peter that the pattern in their lives, because when it comes to drifting, there's a pattern we all have. And you can recognize it when you see it. See, David saw, he inquired, he took. That was the pattern. He sees this beautiful woman taking a bath on the roof next to him. The Bible says then he sent people over to ask about her. Just want to know her. I'm just inquiring about who this woman is. Just checking her out. What's her name? What's her Instagram ID? 
He takes, he saw, he inquired, he took. That's how you drift. You could say the seeing, that wasn't his fault. But even the seeing, a couple of verses earlier, the Bible says in the time when kings were supposed to be out at war fighting for their country, where was David? He was back in Jerusalem. So David was in the wrong place. And because he was in the wrong place, a place where he shouldn't have been, he saw something that he shouldn't have seen. And then he did something he shouldn't have done. And then it led to even more consequences. Murder. So you got to be in the right place. Then just don't inquire. That's the dangerous part of the drift. It's when you start to inquire. I'm just thinking about it. I'm just wondering what it would like to be involved with her instead of my wife. I'm just wondering what it would be like to be in a relationship with him. He would treat me better than my husband. I'm just wondering what it would be like to not really get involved in that financial mess. How might it help me? I'm just going to inquire about it. No big deal. I'm just going to ask. See, the inquiring is the thing that draws you in. The things we ask, questions about us, draw us into the worst decisions of our lives. So we have David, a man after God's own heart, drifting. We're going to see a moment that God can bring us back. And God brought David back, even out of the drift. He brought him back into a place of faith and strength, even out of the worst decision, even out of every destructive decisions of our lives, he can do the same for us. Then in the New Testament, Peter, you remember the story of his drift. He had a real heart for Jesus. He's one of his first followers. He wanted to follow him whatever night. And when Jesus was going to die on the cross, they're talking and Jesus says, some of you aren't going to follow me. And Peter says, no way, Jesus, not me. I'm the one who's going to follow you. Nobody is going to be able to take me away from you. And Jesus said, Peter, you're going to drift. You're going to fall away. Even before this night's over, you're going to drift. So look at what happens. Jesus is arrested. And there's some people who are asking Peter if he's one of the followers. And Peter says, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was finished speaking a third time, he denied him. The rooster crowed and the Lord turned and he looked at Peter. And then Peter remembered the words the Lord had spoken. Before the rooster crows today, you'll disown me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. So Peter had said, Jesus, I'll never deny you. And Jesus had said, you know what? You're going to disown me before the rooster crows. They go to the garden of Gethsemane after this conversation. And Jesus says, would you stay awake and pray with me? And you know what? They said, sure we will, Peter, James, and John said. And they immediately fall asleep. And Jesus is praying alone. Soldiers come. They arrest Jesus. And now Peter's confused. He's probably woken up out of a stupor to a bunch of armed guards. And he's like, what the heck's going on? And he was shocked. And he was probably out of his mind. And he didn't know what to do. And he attacked one of the guards. Jesus had to reprimand him again. <laughs> and then he's watching over. And he's watching this take place where Jesus is being questioned and they say, are you one of his followers? And he's like, no, no, no. And there, he did something he never thought he would do. Here's the pattern in Peter's life. He goes from being confident to being confused to being controlled by fear. I've experienced that pattern. A lot of you have. You're confident. You say, I got this one, Lord. I got to figure it out. And then something happens you never expected would happen and then you get confused. And then you, then you become afraid and you get controlled by those fears. I've learned one of the worst things to say is, God, I've got this figured out. I got this one. I'm confident. You thought, ever thought that way? Pride goes before fall. I'm telling you. The minute you think that, the moment you think that, something's going to happen that's going to rock your world. You get confused. And all of a sudden, you start becoming controlled by fear. 
and you do things that you thought you would never do. And that's what happened in Peter's life. So the question is, how do you keep from drifting like David and Peter did? How do we keep this out of our lives? Well, we're going to drift. But, you know, we need God's word. Obviously, you need prayer. Obviously, you need God's people in your life. Obvious. All these things are obvious. But my question is, how are you going to get God's word into your life? What's going to encourage you to get prayer into your life and to get the faith of other people involved in your life? What helps you to make that step? What helps you to keep from drifting to see where you are? We're going to look at four things. Four decisions that you can make on a daily basis that can keep you from drifting. It's not that you'll never drift, but hopefully you won't drift too long. And you won't drift too far. Get a little off track and then it'll correct you. So what are the four decisions you can make? Number one, this one is huge. I can't really, I'm just starting to understand this myself. I am really in the introductory phase. So if I don't say this that clearly, maybe listen to it again or try to figure it out on your own as well. Because I think this one is by far the most important and It's one that I'm just starting to experience, but I don't get it completely. Not that I get anything completely, but number one is look to God's love for your comfort. See, one of the main reasons we drift spiritually is because we look to the wrong places to comfort us. We look to good things like entertainment or food. Oh, I do this one so much. That's why I'm overweight. (laughs) Or shopping to comfort us. Or we look to horrific things, life-destroying things like drugs or alcohol or porn. And we let these things become our comfort. And of course we drift away from God because we let the wrong things become our comfort in our lives. Psalm 119.76 says, I serve you, Lord, comfort me with your love just as you promised. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and he is the source of all comfort. So if God is the source of all comfort, that means if I'm going to get true comfort in my life, lasting comfort, not the temporary that kind that comes like maybe a day or a month or a year. I'm going to get lasting comfort from God as a source. So how do you look to God as the source of that? Because the truth of the matter is it's really hard to do. Because when we look to comfort sources, you know, it's hard to be like, God, where are you? But food is so real. I'm going to get comfort. So if we have comfort, let's say fried chicken. I just had some the other day. I didn't need it. And I was kind of mad after I ate it because it didn't give me what I wanted. But, and I probably won't eat it now for a long, good time. (laughs) But fried chicken is a good comfort food. So you got some fried chicken right here. You bite into it and it's going to remind you of home. It's going to remind you of everything comfortable. There's one thing you need to do. Recognize that God has given you what you enjoy. That fried chicken that you're tasting right now, you say, you know what? Who gave you the taste buds to enjoy that? God did. So as you bite into it, you go, God, thank you for my taste buds. Thank you for my memories that I can think back. You made me to remember these things. You bring God into it. This is especially true with our entertainment. A lot of times when it comes to entertainment, we say, I'm going to relax with my entertainment over here. And then everything about God is over there. Like God is all work and serious and all my fun and enjoyment is over here without God. And of course, you're not going to be comforted with God's love if you do that. You bring God's love into it. You realize he's the one who made you. Who do you think made you to enjoy everything he created in nature? So when you're outside and you're just enjoying what he made, 
bring him into it. That's the easiest one to do. But also bring him into a movie or a TV show. You say, God, you're the one. Who do you think made you to enjoy a good story? God's the one who created your mind that way. He gave you the creativity. He gave the person who wrote the story that creativity. So you bring God into it and you enjoy it. Now that might mean you you have might have to go to some different movies than you've been going to. I admit that. That might happen. Probably because you're doing things you shouldn't be. But you let his love comfort you in that. You go to a, a ball game, a football game, soccer game. Who made you do love sports? Who made the people to be able to play? We have this big mistake where we separate everything we enjoy from everything spiritual in our life. And the truth is, everything that we truly enjoy, God's the one who made it in the first place. First Timothy 6.17 says, Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. The first thing you do to let God's love be your comfort is you bring him into those moments when you're being comforted. And you realize he's the one who made, who created those things. You see, there's a comfort that's greater than anything could offer us. There's sometimes when the fried chicken isn't going to cut it, when the movie isn't going to do anything for you. You're in grief, you're in loss, you're in discouragement, you're depressed. And you need a greater comfort than anything in this world can offer you. And all of us need to develop this ability to sit in God's love and just recognize, God, you love me no matter what, and just let him comfort you. If all that you ever hear from God is, go, 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 you'll never hear his comfort. You never hear his love. Then listen again, because he's got some love to share with you. And I'll be honest, I'm still struggling with this one, but I know the more I delve into this, the more I do a deep dive into this concept of bringing and looking to God's love for your comfort instead of other things, my life dramatically changes. My mindset changes. I get encouragement to step and walk up that escalator of life. You know, it's, it's tough, but look to God in his comfort. Second, you look to God's word for your strength. Because it takes strength to keep you from drifting. Just like it takes strength to row up a river or to walk up that down escalator. God's truth can give you the strength you need. Psalm 73 verse 26 says, My mind and my body may grow weak, but God is my strength. He's all I ever need. Even when I don't feel strong enough, God is my strength. God's word is the power to tell me where I am. It's a check-in system. You have to regularly check in to see if you're on course. And if you're not regularly checking in, how are you going to know? How in the world will you know if you're on course? It's been a long time maybe since you've checked in. Maybe you're way off course and you don't even know it. There's a lot of ways to check in with God's word. I said this before, one of the best ways for me to know if I'm checking in with God's word, if I wake up in the morning, if my first thoughts go to him or to everything else that's going to take up my day. That is a great indicator of what I'm relying on when I wake up. If my prayers throughout the day are forgotten or done quickly, or if I'm being impatient, all the easy indicators are saying I am far away from God. And I can usually tell if I am off course by simply looking at my attitude. We can drift towards an attitude of self-pity or bitterness or cynicism. And if you take your attitudes to God, he's going to be honest with you. And he's going to use his word to let you know whether you're on course or off course. But also, he'll help you to get back on course. Because here's the great good news. God's word not only has the strength to tell you whether you're on course or not, it has the strength 
to help you to get back on course. It has the power to change your life, to get you redirected. Joshua 1.9 says, This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God is with you wherever we go. We all need to hear that. And if you can only remember one thing from this message, remember that God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you are, God's there. And this is a reminder that God will give you the strength you need wherever you go because he's right there with you. Look to God's word for your strength. That's the second thing you got to do after you look to him for comfort to keep you from drifting. Then there's the third decision is to you to look to God's will as your goal. You look to God's will, the great will of God in your life, the great plans that God has for you. You look to that as your goal. Now, sometimes we drift not because we're lazy, not because we're doing nothing, but because we're looking at the wrong thing or we drift in the wrong direction. You're driving down the road, you focus on the billboard, it's on the left side of the road, and all of a sudden you start drifting left instead of staying in the center. I know I'm teaching my daughter how to drive. Every time she looks down at the speedometer, she'll either go to the left or to the right because she's she loses focus on the road and she's not able to immediately correct that she doesn't have the experience now i'm saying you know when when we have goals in our life we can focus on our own goals and we can drift to that instead of looking at the greater god's goals in your life now i'm not saying you shouldn't have goals you should oh definitely you should have goals for your family for your business for your life but if these goals are just about you and what other people are going to think about you and what you accomplish and the rewards that you can rack up or the money you can earn there's something greater than that, and that's God's great will for your life. The Apostle Paul accomplished a lot. I mean, historically, a huge amount. He took the good news of Jesus to the known world. He started churches in most places where he went, and he wrote a good portion of the New Testament. That's a pretty good job resume. He got a lot done. We didn't go about thinking about, what do I want to do to get done? He did it by thinking, what does God want to do through my life today? He thought in a different way. If all you think about is your goals, you're going to drift towards your accomplishments. When you start to think about God's greater goals for your life and you put your goals into that context, then all of a sudden you get back on track. Philippians 3.14 says, I press towards the goal for the prize of upward call of God in Jesus Christ. So what I'm saying is, say you're in your job and you're, you know, you're trying to be top and performer or something. I remember when I first started at a banking, my goal was to be top performer. And, and I did it. I became it. But you know what I lost in that? During that month, I was kind of rude to certain people. I didn't have to be. I could have done both. I could have said, I could have been the top performer, which was based on speed, politeness, and the ability to solve problems quickly. I could have done all those things and been nice to people but I kind of was short with people because I forgot. I just focused on being top performer instead of focusing on God's goal for me in that life was to share the good news or the practical way to share God's love in the office. And I missed out on that goal. And I and it, and it took me a couple months to realize, oh, I'm missing out on this. So what I'm saying is make the upward or heavenward call of God in your life the goal worth living for. Because it didn't get in the way of me being top performer. No, no, no. It actually just made it a little bit more difficult. You need to be top performer. And at the same time, you need to speak kindly to somebody else. You need to be nice to them. And you need to share the love of Jesus. And that up, 
were goal. All of our, all my goals actually fit into that. They, it's, they weren't separated. So you need to know in case you don't reach all of our goals, that that's not the end. See, a lot of us don't meet our goals. We don't meet our goals for business. We want to, but we just fall short or maybe we fail. We start a business and it fails. I mean, most businesses that start, they fail within five years. But God says, you know, I got a greater goal for your life. There's some times that people are going to fail in their business. And God's goal is to use their failure to help other people so that they don't fail. And so maybe God's greater goal is not that your business was to succeed, but that you would succeed as a person that helps other people so that they don't fail. Who knows? Maybe when you go through something, God's going to say your greater goal is to help someone else get through their pain as well. Some of the most discouraged people I know are people who achieved everything that they wanted to achieve. These are the opposite. These are people who reached all their goals. Now what are they going to do? They don't know where to go. They can't come up with new ones because they've already achieved everything that they wanted. And that's the problem. They've kind of forgotten about God's greater goals. They, they settled for their own goals in this life. But God's greater goals will take you throughout your whole life. What do you want to bring out of this? What greater thing do you want to see God do? When Jesus talked about these God-sized goals in your life, he made it pretty simple. One of the things I love about Jesus, he made it simple. Matthew 16, 24 says, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Those last two words, follow me, that's what you do. You don't try to come up with God-sized goals for your life. You just follow Jesus, and he'll lead you to those God-sized goals. I mean, think about it. All the disciples, he just said, follow me. Feed my sheep to Peter. I mean, what did that entail? Those That was some lofty goals, but all Peter had to do was follow him. Just follow me. I know what I want to do with your life, and we're going to incrementally get there. They won't be selfish goals. you got to deny yourself. Take up the cross, sacrificial goals. Follow him. Be my disciple. The word disciple there just means learner, right? So you keep learning from Jesus how to live life. A disciple is someone who's learning from Jesus how to live life, how to follow God. The moment you think you've learned it all, you're not a disciple anymore. You're a former disciple. You're someone who used to be a disciple because you've learned it all. Whenever I think about this concept, I'm reminded of Darth Vader to Ben Kenobi. Darth Vader says, when I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. And I love Obi-Wan's response. He goes, only a master of evil, Darth. He only learned evil, but Obi-Wan learned something more powerful because he struck him down and he became more powerful than Vader could possibly imagine. Okay, enough of the silly Star Wars. But you get the point. You got to keep learning because once you stop learning, you stop going down that direction. Jesus says, keep learning from me. Two simple words, follow me, and I will lead you into the greatest goals you could possibly imagine in your life. And that's one of the keys to stop the drift in our lives. It's always having greater goals. God's greater goals in mind for your life, and you do that by following him. But if you haven't checked in from time to time, you don't even know what the goals are. You don't even know where you are. And if you're using other things for comfort instead of God's love, you're nowhere near ready. Fourth thing you got to do is you look to God's grace as your hope. Because you put your hope in the wrong thing, you can drift in disaster. You know, 150 years ago, back in the pre-computer days, back in old technology or very ancient, 
when they didn't have a depth finder gauge or radar and you had boats, lighthouses were extremely important. And imagine if they build a lighthouse, but they put it in the wrong location. You know what? That actually happened in Australia in the mid-1800s. The maps to where they were built it really weren't clear. And so the builders built it close to the rock quarry where they were getting the rocks so they wouldn't have to haul the rocks very far. They thought, this is a good place. And it stayed that way. And the lighthouse was built and it was open and they put it in the wrong place. And for the next 30 years, 23 ships were destroyed on that point because the lighthouse was in the wrong place because it did not adequately show the edge of the shoreline. That's the danger of putting your hope in the wrong thing. When you put your hope in the wrong thing, you're in danger of a shipwreck. You put your hope in money or your business, you're in danger of a shipwreck. You put your ultimate hope in your kids or even your church or your favorite Christian or your favorite pastor. And you say, that's the person I'm following. And you put in the, you put your hope in them. And you know what? You're going to have a wreck. And it's going to be violent. Because you put your hope in anything in this world other than Jesus, you're lost. You're in danger. You got you put your hope in the one thing that's going to last. You know, eventually, that Australia lighthouse, it was called St. George Lighthouse. They tore it down and built another one so that the ships could be safe. And sailed around at that point. See, people, relationships, businesses, circumstances, they're all fail. And your hope can be devastated because it's built on the wrong support. To some of you, it doesn't look like it. It doesn't look ruined, but you're putting your hope in the wrong thing and you're headed towards a disaster. So before it's torn down, before you know you get to that point, move your hope to a different place. Do what the Bible says in 1 Peter 1, 13. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. You drift when you stop thinking of God's grace as a gift. When you start thinking, somehow I've earned it, or I deserve it, or it should come to me. When God's grace is a pure gift, God's grace is his forgiveness, God's grace is the life he gives to us, God's grace is abundant. The word grace and the word gift in the New Testament, in the original language, they're the same word. So God's grace is a gift, and God's gift is God's grace in your life. It's always a gift. And if I stop thinking it as a gift, if I, if I start to think I've earned it, I've started to drift. And some of you, you may not have received the gift. It's open in front of you, but you haven't opened it yet. I mean, it's right in front of you, but you haven't opened it yet. You've not received that gift of Jesus' forgiveness. But you can be sure right now in your mind, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I received the gift of your forgiveness. I received the gift of your life. I received this gift of eternal life, and I trust in you. And you think, is it that simple? Yeah, it's that simple. Jesus died on the cross to get you this gift right to your heart. Deliver it to your heart so that you could accept it. If you're not sure you've prayed that prayer, very simple, be sure now to say it to him. It doesn't matter if you prayed it 1, 10, 11, 100 times. But be sure you prayed it at least once. Say, Jesus, I'm accepting that gift right now. Then hang on to it. Because it's the gift of God's grace that we have the power not to drift. The Bible says here what God does through his grace. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 to 17. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. That's what God wants to do in my life, your life, 
daily through his grace. Now, before I finish, I want you to look back at Peter for just a moment. Because Peter, one day, he had drifted farther than he ever thought possible. That was when he denied him when Jesus was going to die on a cross. And you may even share Peter's thoughts that you've drifted so far away that there's no way back. And if you're feeling that way, you know what God has to say to you? Remember, he's in the courtyard. Jesus is in the trial. Peter's denying him. In the midst of it, something happens. And in fact, right here in the midst of it, you have Luke twenty-two sixty-one. Peter has just denied Jesus three times. The rooster crowed. And it says the Lord turned and he looked straight at Peter. He looked straight at him. And you feel like there's no way back. That's the moment you need to sense that Jesus is looking straight at you. And maybe you want to look away because you're ashamed or because you're confused. But just for the moment, I want to invite you. Would you look back into his eyes spiritually? Now, Peter didn't. Look back into his eyes. What do you see? What do you think Peter would have saw? You think he saw disappointment or anger, condemnation? If you think that, then you don't know Jesus that the New Testament talks about. You look in the eyes of Jesus right now and you'll see love. You'll see grace. You'll see forgiveness. You'll see life. Jesus says, I'm inviting you back. I'm inviting you back, Peter. I mean, think about it. Will you, will you take the invitation Peter did? I mean, Jesus told him that he was going to drift. He knew it. Just like he knows you're going to drift. And even before Peter denied him that night, Jesus says, hey, by the way, when you turn back, strengthen my brothers too. He said, I know you're going to turn back, and I know I'm still going to use you. And God's saying that to some of you right now. I know you're going to turn back. And I know you're still, I still have a purpose and plan for your life. Because you have may, you have may have failed in your faith, but you still have a great faith. You may have failed as a parent. I sure have. But you can still choose to be a great parent from this point on. You may have failed in a job, but you can still do great work. Truth of the matter is your life does not have to be defined by that failure. God doesn't intend for it to be defined by that failure. And we know this because when Jesus was resurrected, he came to him and he was, Peter, do you love me? He used to feed my sheep. He said it three times. That's what he wanted. Just follow me. Take care of my people. I know you can do it, Peter. I have faith in you. I don't care if you just deny me. I don't care if you broke my heart. Because I love you. And that's not based on what you do. And sometimes we don't see that. We all we see is our failure right in front of us. But you know what? The truth of the matter is your life does not have to be defined by that failure. God does not intend for it to be defined by that failure. Your life can be defined by the grace and hope and strength and power that God wants to give you into your life. But will you let it? Remember, life is a down escalator. It takes strength and courage to walk up it every day. Because if not, you're going to be drifting away. But we know that God loves us and he's faithful to carry us through. But I hope that encouraged you. And God bless and I'll see you in the next pod.